I miss my parents. You'd think when you are 56 years old that you'd get over or get past certain memories, but you don't, do you? Do you? Okay. My parents love this time of year. And my mother should be sitting right over here because she finally came to peace with moving here some years ago. I got a birthday present back in August. That's when my birthday is, 23rd, if you need to know. 1634, if you need to know anything more specific. Received what they call Apple TV. I sat there and looked at the box until yet last Saturday, two days ago. No, that's uh, yesterday. I didn't open it. I didn't load it up. I didn't use it. Don't know why. I guess I just looked at it and knew that I would get around to it sometime. And I did yesterday. What it is, it's a little box. It's a little mini computer. And when you load it up and get everything up on it and up and going and it works as it ought to, and it did, Apple TV takes everything that you have loaded on your own personal computer, in my case it's a laptop, pictures, videos that I've made, anything I have that has anything to do with music, so it's songs, it's pictures, it's photos, it's videos. I have a little uh, HD video camera called a flip video. All of those are loaded from your laptop onto this little box that then puts them up on your TV screen. And it was pretty amazing because what they didn't tell you is they, they time it to where if like you're playing music, and I kind of thumbed through the menu and found a, a Christmas playlist I had, and it starts playing Christmas carols. And then if you don't touch anything, when it goes to the screensaver mode, what it does in Apple TV is it just takes your photos and it just starts rolling them across the screen. They'll be this size or it may be bigger or it may be two or three overlapped over one another and they just kind of move, scroll, and then after a while they'll kind of flip and reverse the orientation. And so the whole time you're listening to music or whatever it is, your photos at random, in random order, because that's the way I guess it was set up. I didn't change it. But just every photo you've ever loaded into your computer just starts coming across the screen. And I don't have as many pictures as some people do, but I've got two or 3,000 that I've taken, you know, over the past 10, 15, 10, 12 years when I started, when we started using digital cameras. And I loaded those pictures onto the computer and forgot about most of them. And that probably triggered some of the anxiety and memories that I feel at this moment because I saw pictures of family from years back. Pictures. You remember, they don't have them in the New Testament. 
They didn't have those digital cameras. They didn't have Polaroids. They didn't have Instamatics. They had their eyes. And they had their minds. And they had their lips, their words. And that's how pictures were processed. That's how pictures were taken. What I want to ask you to do with me this morning is to take a moment and look at yet another picture that the Bible gives us of Jesus. Once again, we're not going to be able to tell what he looks like. God didn't give us that option. But the pictures we have of Jesus in Scripture are those pictures that tell us who he is, what he's done for us. It's in Matthew chapter 2. We read a portion of the passage when the merchants lit the third candle of Christmas. But it's the next picture that God gives us in his word about his son Jesus. That first one was the very nativity scene, the manger itself. The second one was when that prophet Simeon lifted Jesus into his arms and spoke words about who this child was and what he would do and the reactions people would have to him, good and bad. But then this morning, it's focused upon Matthew 2, and we pick up in verse 7, where it says, Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and they worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi, the kings, left for their own country by another way. I want to ask you to envision the picture that we've just taken, that we've just seen. Maybe for our purposes today, it shouldn't be considered to be a photograph as much as maybe a painting But in these verses, in this passage, it's called Matthew chapter 2, we have one of the clearest, most vivid pictures, portraits of Jesus to add to our collection. That in our mind's eye, we we can close our eyes and we can imagine, go where you want to with what he looked like physically. That's up to you. But don't miss what the picture really tells us about Jesus. So here's the setup. Here's the frame. It's a big picture. It's not going to fit in in just a 5 by 7 or even an 8 by 10 or 11 by 14. It's going to have to be big enough to fit everything in that we just read. So envision the canvas or envision the backdrop, the, the bordering, the framework of this Christmas picture. And these thoughts come to my mind after reading the words from God. We have in this portrait, in this painting, in this photo, taken with our eyes, processed with our minds, and spoken right now with my lips, 
I have the idea and I see clearly the king of kings. The capital K, the king of small case kings. What does that mean? How do we put that together? How do we envision it? What does the scripture tell us? Well, we know that at this time, Jesus is not in the stable. He's not in a manger. But the passage tells us he and Mary and Joseph have moved into the house. What house this was, no one knows. So those ideas that we have from all the nativity scenes that we have of where you have everyone gathered at the manger, you have the shepherds and the angels and the kings, all three of them. That's not realistic. The, the, the picture of what happened is, of course, but the timing of it. In this picture, the shepherds are not there. They're removed. There are really no angels visible as in the other pictures. And here, it's in a shelter. It's in the house. Maybe it's the house that was provided by the innkeeper. Maybe it's relatives of Joseph. For they're still in Bethlehem, apparently. But some time has passed. They're in the house. And the kings have come to see the king. Interesting developments here, at least in my mind, because when I look at the picture that I'm trying to draw for you, and I see the house, and I see Mary and Joseph not bent over a feeding trough, but just taking care of their little one, taking care of their son as best they can. Maybe Mary went to the door herself when these three, as we traditionally call them, the three kings, as they approached and as they asked for an opportunity to have an audience with the family. But we know from looking back at the previous verses, and as we add to the picture of it all, as we read some of the context, you'll see these things in the painting. You'll see in the backdrop of a house where Mary and Joseph are taking care of their child and the three kings, you will see that there's been an attitude, there's been a process in the journey to get to where these kings are. They are called magi from the east. Kings is a loosely used term for who they were and what they were. More than likely, they were just very educated professor-type people. And they had a keen interest in studying the stars, the positioning of the stars. And apparently, they had received some information about a special constellation or a special brightness in one particular area of the heavens that caused them to wonder if something cataclysmic, something colossal was going on, if something was happening. This is not unusual. People had the idea that when the heavens truly aligned, that there were some things going on. Now, we know, because as we're looking at the picture, that indeed there were some cataclysmic things that have happened, the birth of the Savior. But in this passage in Matthew 2, we find not only those kings, but though they're in, not in the picture proper, we've got the idea of some, some bad attitudes. We have a man who's listed, and his name is Herod. But you remember, Herod is a title. It's not a first name. There were many Herods. There was Herod the Great. That's who's mentioned here. Later on, there's going to be a Herod Antipas and a Herod Agrippa and a Herod Agrippa II and on and on. Herod was a family title 
And this Herod, Herod the Great, who ruled during the time of Jesus' birth, was insanely jealous. He never could find acceptance with the Jewish people because, number one, he wasn't really a Jew. He was an Idumean. He was called a half-breed by those who dared to whisper even behind his back. But of all the things Herod the Great tried to do to appease the people, of all the great buildings that he's responsible for, and of all the good, benevolent things he did, he had a streak within him, a streak of hatred and a streak of jealousy, especially toward anyone who would usurp his throne. And so in the background of this picture that we're looking at, even though Herod the Great is not there at the house in Bethlehem. Oh, he's there. For he played a major role in what happened during this time. Maybe he represents, as we look at his influence, maybe he represents a lot of people in the world today. I'm not talking about people named Herod. I'm not necessarily talking about people who have kingdoms in which to rule. I'm talking about people like you and me, people who have no room for anything else in our lives but ourselves. That's what's wrong with Herod. So consumed with self-preservation, so consumed with getting things his way. I mean, the man was crazy. He literally would murder his own children, which he did. That whole family was dysfunctional way beyond Hatfields and McCoys. But yet he's there. And his attitude still is prevalent today. Because if in your mind this holiday season is all about you, if in the reality of your life This wallet that you have, you're going to hold on to tightly because what's in this wallet and what's represented by your possessions is yours and yours alone. And you will share with no one else, let alone God. If down deep in your heart of hearts, you're insanely jealous of what God may ask of you if you follow him, then you're just, I'm just, kind of the same cloth and the same mold as Herod. There were some verses previous that we didn't get to read, but it's simply there in those first opening verses of Matthew chapter 2. It's part of the picture, though they're not in the picture proper. Oh, they're there. When the Magi came and they began heading toward where this star would take them, they ended up in the region of Judea, and they ended up in Jerusalem. And that's where Herod heard about them and asked for them to find this child. And he said that he wanted to come and worship, but we know better than that. He wanted to come and destroy. But there's a, a little detail here that's part of the picture. It said that when Herod found the Magi, and when they were beginning to, to sort out what this star could mean, they went to another group, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And the Scripture says that when they came to the scribes and Pharisees, they gathered them together, and they began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been so written by the prophet. And then they quoted Micah 5, 2. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then they're gone. Nowhere to be seen. 
Now, now, hear me. These are the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the ones who carried their Bibles with them everywhere they went. These are the ones who conducted the services of the people who always were around the temple. And yet when the king, Herod the Great, the so-called king of Judea, comes to inquire of them with these three wise men from the east who carried with them an air of authority, no doubt... I mean, here's an entourage. And what have they come asking the scribes and the Pharisees? We want to ask you for advice. We want to ask you for direction. And immediately they said, well, that's what the Scripture says. They quote the Scripture, and then they're gone. Why? Because they got too many other things to deal with. they got a temple to take care of. they got sacrifices to sell. they got money to make. They've got people to impress Isn't it amazing that the very group that should have been right on the trail, right on the track of star coming into focus, king over Israel, interested in this? Strangers from the east who've got lots of money and lots of gifts and lots of power, and they're all asking and converging upon what information we know, and when they gave it, it's as though they didn't care because they didn't care. And I'll just simply say, as you look at the picture, now this is three kings bowing down before the Messiah, the King of Kings. Back in the back part of your mind in that picture, there's an evil king who's so selfish. And then there's a group of religious people who are so religious that they're ineffective. What about us? Where do we fit in the picture here? Oh, you you know all about the story. You know all about Christmas. You're all about warmth and cheer. But when it comes right down to meeting the needs of people who truly need to know the Savior, we're too busy. Don't interrupt our process. Don't mess up the order of things. Don't Don't you know we've never done it that way before? And... We end up being just like scribes and Pharisees who quote the Scripture. But you don't see them tracking the three kings, do you? You don't see them entering the picture here, the picture that Matthew 2 paints for us, at least the main part of the picture. And then you have those kings. You have those kings who who didn't have any real grounding in God's Word. They had to go hunt for it. They had to go get help, and they did get help. And they got the right information. Someone quoted to them, chapter and verse, Micah 5.2 says, Go to Bethlehem, six miles south of Jerusalem. It'll take you less than a day to get there. What are you waiting on? And they waited on nothing. They went. And these who claimed authority and power over so many, these who knew so much up here begin to see that what really mattered was here. And so you have those kings. Whether three of them or not, we don't know. That's what tradition says. We've even given them names. doesn't matter about their names. We'll never know the truth other than the fact that these wise magi kings from the east came, and we do know what they laid before the king of kings, their gifts. 
That's the picture that you're looking at. And when you remove 2,000 years of culture, when you remove everything from that day and transport it to today, the question really is, are we in that picture? Are we bringing what we have to the king? Can you see it? I'm not a good artist. I couldn't draw it. I don't have my camera. I couldn't go back in time anyway. But taking what God's word says, just envision it and look at that big canvas and start seeing it, the house, Mary and Joseph, the baby, the kings. Unless you're not there. There's another part of this painting or this picture. I pick it up as you look at the picture. It's big enough to where you see the house and you see the kings as they're moving into the house. And maybe they're, they're bowing down now. But if you back off from it and really look at what the artist intended or the photographer really wanted to picture, he's going to show you that they came by a certain path. And it's going to be evident because all of their entourage is lined up along that roadway as they're making their way to the house where Mary and Joseph and Jesus are living. But then you'll notice in the other corner of the picture that there's a road that moves away in the other direction. The scripture says, did you hear it? Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way, another road. And that's what the picture draws. Can you see it? They all came from this direction, and the road was very clearly marked. But then you're going to see the road heading out from the house. And there's going to be something in that photograph that lets you know that this entourage of wise men, these magi, they're not going to be turning around and going back as they came, but they're going to be heading down this other road. Where does it go? Scripture tells us it's going to lead them home. It's going to take them where they need to go. But it's going to be by another way. It's, it's a different path. You, you can see it in the picture. It's real clear. Then why is it that in our own daily lives, we can't follow God because He's not leading us down the path that's familiar to us? He's taking us down a road that looks treacherous. It's just the unknown. And we refuse to move in the direction he's told us to go, even though the scripture makes it very clear here in the painting that this is very important. It's very crucial for the wise men to obey because Herod has other things in mind other than worship of this child. He's going to do what he can to destroy him. And if the kings go back that way, they're going to be captured. They're going to be intercepted. They're going to be made to talk. They're going to be tortured. They're going to be killed. And so God had plans for them to get where they needed to go but he's going to take them in a totally different direction and way than they ever dreamed. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever seen something like that happen in your life? If you've been around God, if you follow Jesus, no doubt you have or no doubt you will. 
You think of the myriad of choices you have to make and you don't know what to do. Listen for the Spirit of God. Listen for the voice of God to guide you. Not every decision you and I make is going to be that cut and dry. I understand it. There'll be times when God says, Stephen, here are the choices. Any one of them's fine. Take your pick. But then there are going to be times when I find myself in uncharted territory. I'm going to find myself heading down in a direction, in a path that makes me feel very uneasy and very uncomfortable. It's going to stretch me. It's going to take every bit of faith I have to keep it in its right place. I imagine those kings wondered, we've got a schedule to keep. We've got not a king of Judea named Herod the Great, who's a little bit shaky, but we've got to answer to our own ruler. He wants information. He's not going to expect us to head in this direction. But that's what they did. And I think world history is what it is today because those wise men wised up and went God's way. What about you? I don't know what it is for you. It may be something huge. It may be something not quite so important. But you may find yourself in a situation of life right now where you wonder if if God really cares. Well, let me ask you, is he just taking you home by another way? Can you see it? It's in the picture. Then there's another part of the picture. It's the one that's the hardest to talk about. It's the one that simply brings into focus what Christmas really cost. And, and I'm not talking about what it cost in, in, in money for you and me to purchase gifts or to do this or go to the party or to whatever it might be. I'm not talking about that kind of cost. I'm talking about this kind of cost, Matthew 2.16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and he sent and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Did you read that? That's insane. That's, that's beyond tragic. That's evil. I told you in the picture, even though Herod's not there, he is all over this picture because his attitude is what brought those kings to where they were. And Herod feigned interest just so that he could get his hands on this child and destroy the child. And so the Scripture says when Herod realized he'd been tricked by the Magi, but we know better, they were sent home by another way, not of their own thinking, but of God's direction. Herod became enraged, and within his own power, he did what he could do to take care of matters. He did a little calculating, and he went over the top. Two years of age and under should cover it. And so the Scripture would tell us that history would paint an ugly picture that there were Roman soldiers who were sent from house to house in Bethlehem and they would find out where these baby boys were, toddlers, two years of age, all the way down to newborns. And they would be ripped from their mother's and father's arms and most likely would be slain right there where they stood at the doorstep. 
It even fulfilled scripture, Matthew says. Matthew is so overwrought, he has to go back and just say there's weeping in Ramah. Going all the way back to the Old Testament. The most horrible events that happened to those people. And saying this is what it's going to be like. But what I want to ask you to think about is, what did Christmas cost? What do you mean what it cost? What did it cost some families? Do you think they had any idea, any clue why their 18-month-old was massacred, murdered? Do you think these families, if they were polled, if they were asked, would you be willing to pay this price? So that this child could live because he and his mother and father taken off to Egypt. They stayed there until it was safe to come back home. Why wasn't I warned, one father might say. That's the cost, my friends. And I can't go back and read into it and conjecture this and suggest that. I could, but it would be wrong. I just take the scripture of what it says. That there were a whole lot of families who suffered. That's what it cost. Now, does that put suffering in a little different light for you and me? It sure should. I'm not asking you to read into every single thing that happens to you that it's some personal vendetta that God has against you because that's not what the Scripture teaches. It's not that God orchestrates these terrible things to happen just so that it it can look good. We live in a world of sin and darkness and despair. And there was an evil king named Herod. Called himself the Great. He wasn't great. He took out his vengeance upon innocence. But the king of kings lived and grew and went to a cross and died and rose again. And in the big picture, my friends, of what it cost, there is a greater good. There is a bigger picture. There is a huge picture here that we can't see all of it. But we can see where God wants to lead us. And it's our choice to be faithful no matter what. That's what it costs in families. So this is some picture, isn't it? I mean, we thought it was just about three kings of Orient are. Bearing gifts, they traveled afar. No. It's about who is there. My favorite Christmas carol. In the bleak midwinter Frosty wind had blown Earth stood hard as iron 
Father, we're there. We see the picture. It's my prayer that we bow in worship to the King of Kings. In His name we pray. Amen. We offer an invitation for any in this room who may need to make decisions of an eternal nature. For it could well be that you're here today and you're without Christ. By that I mean you've never asked Him to come into your heart to forgive your sin, to lead your life. It's a choice you make. It's a prayer you pray. We're going to have deacons and ministers standing on these outer aisles today to receive you 
as you come. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord, never told anyone, never followed him in believer's baptism. Why not? It's a command. It's a privilege. Come and make that commitment to be baptized of your own choosing as a believer in Christ. Maybe God would lead you to join this church today. Great churches all around us. Why would you join this one? Because God's leading you here. Maybe this is your home by another way. I don't know. Maybe it's your opportunity to quit being selfish and asking God what he's going to demand of you. Quit acting like Herod. Start acting like one who worships the king. So if God's leading you to join our church today, come forward and join. And then maybe all you got to do today is just where you are, go, where am I in that photo? Where am I in that picture? Am I out of it because I'm just like Herod? Am I out of it because I'm like those scribes and Pharisees who were too busy, didn't even care? Or do you come and worship him and obey him? That's our invitation. We stand together, we sing, we wait. Won't you come forward right now?